welcome to the Big Careers Small Children podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I believe that no one should have to choose between becoming a CEO and enjoying their young children. For far too long, brilliant people have found themselves stuck on the career ladder when they have children, which leads to gender inequality and the same stale, mostly male, middle-class people leading our organizations. We need to change this. In fact, my hope is that many of you listening to this podcast will progress to the most senior leadership roles possible, where you make decisions that make our world a better place. Beyond the podcast, I am the CEO and founder of the social enterprise Leaders Plus, which provides working parents with support to combine big career dreams with young children. To get access to our free events, to our resources and further options of support, sign up on leadersplus.org forward slash newsletter. Today I'm talking to Rosie McLeod about our research together around working parents' career progression why so many working parents say that they think having children has held them back in their careers and what the data tells us about why certain working parents are still progressing, how we can replicate it for more working parents and also, very importantly, the roles that employers can play. Enjoy. Really good to see you again, Verena. I'm Rosie McLeod. I'm a social researcher and consultant. Um, So I'm former head of data and learning at NPC, where I was working a lot with charities and foundations on strategy and how they think about impact and how they use evidence to think about their work and to improve what they do. And I am now working independently as a consultant, and that's what brought us together. And I also, yeah, in, in my personal life, I'm a mother of six and four-year-old. So both at school now and an interesting new autumn. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And from a personal perspective, can you share with our listeners one thing that you used to believe about combining a big career with young children that you don't subscribe to anymore? Oh, wow. I think the truth is I was I was pretty apprehensive, I think, about what effect children would have on my career and identity, sort of professional identity. Possibly a concern, would I would I fall off a cliff? You know, would I be the same person on return? And what would await me? <laughs> and the lovely surprise, I think, is that I was the same person with the same, maybe somewhat different energy, no, no less energy, maybe a, having grown a bit with a different kind of depth of perspective, but no less sort of excited and driven by the world out there. So that was a great relief. And also that the, that the world would have me, I think, a sort of possibly a throwback from our sort of parents' generation of what happens to women in the workplace, but not as bad as all that. And actually so much to work for where things aren't perfect. Mm, Wonderful. And looking at the report that we just did together, can you share a bit about how it came about and what the research was trying to get at? Yeah. So here we're exploring what are working parents' aspirations for progression? What is it that they're that they're hoping to achieve? What desire is there for progression? What's what's happening in practice? What are some of the obstacles and barriers being faced? What's happening when it works really well, when it works less well? And what can employers do to help? So it was an online survey with 878 uh, respondents, really, really good number going out to wide community. And interestingly, very, very detailed, high quality responses. I often find as as a researcher, you get people dashing off responses. No, there's clearly a real sort of real pent up sort of frustration but energy around this issue people responding with paragraphs in the open codes and we sought to to see 
what what would need to change in order for people to realise our ambitions? We've got some clear findings around that. Hmm. And obviously, Leaders Plus commissioned this research, and it's come partly, to be honest, from my own experience. When I had children at the very beginning, people just started to assume very weirdly that I had shelved my ambitions. And I just thought, I don't think that's true. Definitely not for me and also not for a lot of other people. What does the research tell us about that? Do people, does ambition lower once you have a child? It tells us very emphatically that it doesn't. It tells us that people are very interested in moving into senior roles. You know, 86% of people were keen to progress within the next five years. Well over half wanted to within the next two years. There's no lack of, of ambition what there is, is a belief that parenting is holding people back. You know, half of mums say parenting actually is holding me back at the moment in my career, which is which is a real shame. I mean, that's something that needs to change when you think of how massive that workforce is, and what a massive opportunity that cost that is for the economy, for employers and for people in their own lives. Mm, and also it leaves us with these lovely rooms, board decision-making rooms, senior leadership teams that then don't include those mums um, or those carers who've been left behind. Um, so what did the research tell us anything about what the root cause for this is? I mean, that is shocking. Half of people think, half of mums think that they're not able to progress their careers properly in the way they want because of their children. I think that is that is really rubbish. What What is the root cause? Does it say that? What it really shows is that there's a kind of double blow that people are experiencing in terms of opportunities for progression. Firstly, that the jobs available are inflexibly structured. So they're not structured in ways that are compatible with people's caring responsibilities. But secondly, that's that's compounded by this kind of outdated attitude that mums aren't necessarily suited to those roles. So that it's not a problem, that they're not applying. So the jobs available, 60% of, of parents have decided not to apply for a role because it wasn't compatible with their caring responsibilities. But is that being viewed as a problem by the organisation or does the organisation assume that's what they want? And so I think there may be a bit of a misunderstanding here about, about what that gap means. It's not chosen. It's a forced choice to, to not apply. And that, that frustration is clear. And the sort of the attitudes that people are less committed and less appropriate for senior roles is, is really prevailing in the research, unfortunately, that people are experiencing comments of that kind. I should have the figures in front of me, but I don't. But maybe you can remember that it was quite stark. I, I was struck with how many people said that they got comments about not being committed anymore. And, and this attitude, this underlying attitude, thinking, well, actually, now you're mum, so therefore just stay at home, please, and be grateful if we give you some flexible working. Yeah, that's true. There's Sorry, I've put you there on the spot. <laughs> I'm not expecting you. <laughs> <laughs> to remember but it, it was a lot I think is what we we can say yeah don't yeah. worry about it <laughs> I should have said I sent a very half-baked briefing to you about five minutes before this this uh, podcast recording uh, because my own children funnily enough were in A&E most of the week well back yes. and forth anyways yeah so uh... <laughs> so you know you're, you're yeah you're right I mean Half of people have been asked whether they would be going part time, but the harder ones are 40% of people have had their commitment to work questioned because of their caring responsibilities. 40%, nearly half, 35% comments implying that they shouldn't or can't progress their career due to their caring responsibilities. A third of them that implying that they're not working as hard as their peers. And you know what is 
quite worrying is that that goes hand in hand with line managers' um, behaviours. So while line managers are generally described as supportive, only around a fifth are helping people to set boundaries. Only you know, less than a third are advocating for parents, less than a third are helping them with opportunities to progress. And that, I think, is quite worrying. I think that other, other findings as well, particularly in the, the, the comments about the, the concern that they weren't seen as appropriate for progression and that while being supported with flexibility, there was a sort of a flexible cage that people were sort of stuck in where, right, my line manager provides me with, with flexibility, but that wouldn't be available in future roles. And there's no support from the line manager to, to encourage into future roles. So this sort of assumption everywhere that you're in the right place, you get flexibility, but you don't get support with progression. Mm. And I think there is an issue because the line managers, because we're talking about a group that is systematically we're almost excluded from those more senior roles. And so you do need that line manager support and also just in, and this is not in the report but based on my experience working parents who are in those you know middle manager senior manager roles they're often already pushing the boundaries they might be the first ones to work flexibly in that level the first ones to be on a job share and so as a result they will need that extra support because the system is not set up yet for them and so you do need that support with setting boundaries because otherwise people end up leaving because if you I mean you said this to me not as part of the research, but in passing, you said that actually when you are working um, as a working parent, you are, and you're lucky enough to choose whether or not to work, then you make much stronger choices based on, is it worth it? Is, is, is this a valuable job uh, to me or not? Yeah. Uh, and actually in terms of choosing the next role, then it wasn't money and it wasn't status that was up there at the top. It was, it was, flexibility it was support with unplanned needs it was you know meaning flexibility trump pay <laughs> in terms of future jobs it's critical there's that support so i heard a lot recently that actually flexibility has kind of been sorted because after the pandemic that allowed lots of people to work more flexibly and so a lot of senior leaders usually not our partners, usually not the ones that are parents themselves, but a lot of senior leaders do say behind closed doors, actually, you know, flexibility is not a problem anymore. So what's the deal here? Yeah, I, I think there's, it's such a widely used and slippery term. It can mean so many different things. There's a real lack of, of precision and like concrete support behind what we mean by flexibility. And we need to get a lot clearer on it. So while there's formal flexibility, you know, around the, the structure and approach to jobs. Only 0.3% of people are working in job shares. There's, you know, in terms of compressed hours, part-time, those things are, are still very compressed hours and, and job shares are really, really uncommon. What we're seeing in the, in the research is that those forms of flexibility are not being offered in lots of the senior roles. So it was much harder for, for people in part-time roles to see opportunities that they felt that they could do. And there's not the translation in working point eight, for example, or working key time hours, the, the sort of clarity as to how that would work within a role. So, you know, of people people who are turning down promotions because they they don't see them as compatible, the vast majority, 86% or so of them were saying the workload doesn't look feasible. And that's because while they may, they may say there can, there can be some flexibility, they're not showing how that translates to workload, how that job would become possible. 
how could that job be done? So I think there's a sort of lack of creativity around around job design, and, and perhaps there needs to be more interaction between sort of HR and, and and managers in in job designs and in specking roles to say how would this work in those different configurations? Because it's very easy to say we're flexible, but are we seeing it? In if we were seeing that, then people would be picking up those job ads. People would be going for those jobs. Over half of them, half of the people who are not applying are saying they couldn't because the job didn't didn't fit with their working hours. It wasn't possible to do it within the working hours. So clearly the jobs are lacking the, the variety um, of, of those options and a really strong perception that the senior jobs are associated with lower flexibility and that there's this sort of two-speed economy of, you know, the, the kind of top high-pressure, well-paid jobs being inflexible and the more junior ones being flexible and I feel like we were kind of trying to get to the heart of something which Claudia Golden has been exploring you know the the Nobel Prize winner she said this really interesting thing you know there are these these senior leadership posts some of which we're talking about here we're talking about people progressing kind of through middle management and all the way up but when you get to those senior leadership posts the ones that people sort of think of as most important and almost as kind of standard bearers for the culture of the organization she calls them greedy jobs, right? They're the kind of high pay, high pressure roles, require people to prioritise work over all other aspects of their lives. You know, it's hard at the top, that kind of idea. And her question is one that I think we're sharing, which is how can we make supposed greedy jobs less demanding without making them less productive? Like that's the next frontier. They don't, they, they don't need to be impossibly demanding. They don't need to be impossible workloads. They can be hugely productive, but they need to be more creatively and flexibly structured so that more people can do them. Mm. Mm. Interesting. And for me, a big question is how do we engage the people who don't routinely think about flexible working or parents in this conversation? And um, I chatted about this with one of our partners recently and, and her view was and she's obviously extremely she's really there she really wants to make a difference to working parents but her view was the the thing that the most senior board members might care about is productivity and so just to give you the space to say are working parents more productive less productive if either of those what increases productivity of a working parents according to this research yeah we did ask directly about that, and half of people felt that parenting had actually had a, product, a positive impact on their productivity. 15% said negative, well, a really, really, really small proportion. Quotes like, you know, work became more purposeful. Um, it changed my outlook. It's been about mindset. I generally feel I'm more effective in terms of responsibilities, priorities, getting things done. You know, there are lots of benefits related to, to being a parent. Uh, in terms of improving productivity, Flexible working is is really key. It's being able to make the best use um, of the hours that you've got available and working in a in a way that's that, that fits other responsibilities, uh, which drives uh, commitment, which drives loyalty, which drives a kind of mutual sense of goodwill as well. Um, so flexible working, like more than a third of people said, that's the thing that's going to really help. Interestingly, as well, more training and support around combining a demanding career with caring responsibilities. Quarter was saying that, and that really speaks to other findings because there's a concern that. Uh, an organisation where you don't see role models of senior leaders being parents, like particularly mums, um, you, you don't see lots of those examples, then you need the reassurance that this is an actively parent-friendly organisation. It's not enough to say, 
to, to be sort of parenting blind, to act like it doesn't exist in job descriptions. Uh, there needs to be the kind of the encouragement and reassurance. We want working parents to progress. Like we welcome back mums. We're interested in their return. We see them as having potential for progression. Because I think that that, and that is something employers really can do to, to make that clear. Um, because I think the, the sort of the, the, the absence of kind of passive makes, makes people assume, well, we can't see it. It, it may not be possible. We don't see it in the job ads. We don't see it in our line managers' perceptions. You know? So it's that support. How do you combine? How do you combine a demanding care with, career with care and responsibilities? Is our organisation thinking about that? Does our organisation care? Is our organisation interested in supporting us with it? Mm. I hope the podcast is really useful to you so far. Feel free to let me know with a LinkedIn message if you have any feedback or suggestions. I wanted to have a quick interruption here to invite you to get involved and become part of the real life community of people and working parents at Leaders Plus. One way to do so is if you are a senior leader, someone at director or partner level or above and who have lived experience of combining a big career with young children, I would love it if you would consider applying to be a senior leader mentor to one of our Leaders Plus fellows, our working parents on our fellowship program. To get involved, you go on leadersplus.org forward slash mentors. Likewise, if you are working parents and would like support from one of those amazing senior leader mentors, then you can do so by applying to join our fellowship program. All the details are on our website. At the moment, applications aren't open yet, but if you register interest, so leadersplus.org forward slash register interest, we will then send you an email once the applications are open. You'll get obviously senior leader mentor, you get a really inspirational tight-knit support group, a small support group of other working parents, and you get structured support and time to think through a world-class facilitator and also I'll have a chance to get to know you hopefully throughout the program. Any questions or any suggestions let me know. Also there are lots of free events on the Leaders Plus website if you want to get involved in those. And you have done research in this space before. You've researched I think around the gender pay gap and so on. Was there anything that came out of the research that was contrary to what you were expecting that surprised you? I found the area around uh, unplanned issues really fascinating. So obviously childcare and childcare costs and childcare availability are a huge factor, which is sort of inhibiting people's freedom to, to take different jobs. But what this research shows is there's a lot that employers can do that I don't think had been properly unpacked before. So just findings like the fact that parents care just as much about support with when their kids are ill or in transition points is they do about childcare cost and flexibility in terms of motivating them to do the next job. And so while we, we talk about formal flexibility, but what came out here was how critical it is that parents feel like the organisation's got their back when something goes wrong. They're pulled out, their child is ill, there's a hospital, there's any appointment, they're in a transition. What do they do? There's a lot of dependence on the line manager, on the discretionary support of a line manager to help you out in that scenario. But that is by definition, kind of inconsistent. And it's unpredictable in the first place because you're dependent on one individual. And what this research was saying is that that inconsistency is a real issue for parents when they're thinking about the next role. They're saying, this line manager is fine, but 
I, I think it may be different in other places. And how do I know what my next ma- line manager will be like? So actually that dependence on a line manager is a symptom of a kind of lack of enough support. So what employers can really help with is strengthening supportive policies like child sickness and transitions, as well as making very clear um, that that kind of flexibility is, is across the piece. You know, it doesn't depend on the discretion of a line manager. And I think that that would give people more confidence that the role that they stepped into would offer the flexibility that they currently have. And there's a real concern at the moment that it doesn't. Absolutely. And could you actually summarize some of the key things that we haven't discussed yet that have come out of the report? Because it might be useful for people to hear the other ones. Let me just, I'm just looking at the summary here to see if there's anything else that we haven't put out. Yeah. So we we talked about the fact that there's a real interest in moving into senior roles, but a much lower rating of people's prospects. So the vast majority of people want to progress, but only around a third feel like that's possible within their current organisation. So you see there's a real gap there. Half of mums feel that parenting is holding them back. They don't see realistic jobs, senior parents above them or a supportive leadership. They feel that role modelling of working parents in senior roles is really important to their motivation. They're looking for examples, they're looking for reassurance that it's possible and need to see that more. The things that are actively deterring people from applying for promotion, over half of people have been deterred. And it's that the jobs lack flexibility, that the workload looks unrealistic, the start and finish times aren't possible. So these aren't just perceptions, they're, you know, what they're seeing in the in the job ads But there's little reporting of negotiation. So it may be that these things are being accepted. As I was saying there, what I found really interesting was this real concern that there's going to be a lack of flexibility for those unplanned issues, the illness, the um, the transitions. So there's there's a real need for more reassurance around that because it is discouraging people from stepping up. It's the informal stuff. And that this inconsistency in support for working parents sort of across the organisation is a real problem for job satisfaction. So when we're thinking about retention, that dampens interest in progression because it leaves parents uncertain about what support would be on offer in a different team. We talked a bit about managers. So while they've got a really important role to play, an over-reliance on them is a kind of symptom that the wider supportive structures aren't working. You know, few of them are helping set boundaries. We need to see better training and support for, for line managers in how to support working parents. And so in terms of what we what we recommend, what we think needs to happen, we need organisations to recognise parenting responsibility and show that it's welcome and accommodated in senior roles. You need to make very clear that you can be a mum or dad and progress. And, you know, that takes more flexible roles becoming a norm through job ads and design. It takes more organised support with progression from managers and, and from HR targets. And it takes board and senior management leading on realistic ideas and expectations about seniority and a healthy work life so that it's very clear that parenting is is possible and encouraged uh, among those in senior roles. Mm. And generally do parents, so even if they're not happy, do they tend to accept situations that aren't great and just tend to accept that actually fair enough I can't progress or is it something that makes people change jobs? We do see it making people change jobs and was it around 20%, 25% of people have left left jobs because of their parenting, parenting responsibilities? Um, and the lack of flexibility was the main reason for that. You do see this kind of conservative tendency in 
actually just staying put with unrealized potential because of concern about moving to other places where they may not find the same support. Where people do leave, it's to find more flexibility. But what I, what we seem to be seeing more is it is staying put and not, and not realizing potential, which is a big problem for for performance and for making best use of the workforce. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. And if an employer is serious about making sure that they do have more women in senior leadership and they do understand that actually, in order to achieve that, it's important to make sure that working parents can progress their careers. What would be the top three or four things they can practically do in order to solve this problem of parents being stuck on the career progression ladder? I think looking hard, reviewing job ads um, and trying to get flexibility the default for both externally advertised and internal promotions, getting explicit about what forms of flexibility are possible, taking on work with staff on job design, because it's maybe sometimes managers and teams who aren't seeing how that could work. As I said, line manager training and HR targets focused on supporting parental progression is really important because I think it needs active attention. And then encouraging that visible and vocal leadership from the board um, and senior teams to counter those really strong prevailing assumptions about the workplace and what's done there and the perception that that it's hard, it's hard to get flexibility as you go up, that you don't tend to see parents in those roles, um, particularly mums. So it really needs a sort of that countering from from the leadership a vocalization that this is that it's parent friendly so it's those three things it's the the it's the job ads it's the manager training um and targets and it's the leadership from the top Mm. and i think in the job ads that's not just for designing new jobs it's about designing jobs that are workload friendly at the moment all these nine a lot of our jobs nowadays they're still designed for 1950s workforce where you have one Assuming a hetero couple, you have one person, usually the man, going into the city, working really long hours, and the other one doing everything to do with the family and the children and the house. And I think what we we saw in this research is that workload is something really key that keeps people from wanting to progress to senior level because they're assuming those jobs are more demanding in terms of workload, but also keeps them dropping out and looking for other roles because they're too overwhelmed. And, and that's a question of job design, isn't it? We just need to get those jobs designed in a way that they can be done. So we're not trying to shoehorn a five-day-a-week job into a four-day-a-week job, or we're not trying to design jobs that are meant to be five-day, nine-to-five, but actually they're routinely nine-to-ten. Because that that is... And and, it, and there's a skills gap, I think, there, in that a lot of line managers, even a lot of HR leaders, do not understand how to do that job design properly. And if we can solve this, which can be solved, that's going to make such a difference to working parents. That's, that's absolutely right. And the way that workload is seen is it's not tracking with the hours people are able to do or, or the way that they're able to work, uh, but it just takes creativity. It's definitely, definitely possible to do. And it would be a, a massive advantage in sort of unleashing a lot of people who are, who are act, being actively held back and are actively frustrated by this. They want to progress. They want to see those jobs. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And there's something around the data here, because sadly, things that you, I don't know what the original quote is or who it is by, but there is quite a famous quote, which I can't remember now, which is around, you know, you don't value what you don't measure. So I think if the, any board member is listening to this, and I know that a few board members are, what you need to do is you need to make sure you've got 
clear data tracking any indicators relating to this. So number of flexible working requests accepted, flexible working requests rejected by departments. Very often HR, finance, and so on, the back office departments are very flexible. But then you go into client facing, they're not flexible. And again, there's no excuse for not managing flexibility in those. We see time and time again, very senior roles working flexibly, but they are not yet the norm. So anyways, I'm digressing, but we need data on that. We need data on how many parents and carers are progressing to senior level, how many are leaving, what's the gender pay gap. So there was an in, in one of the most recent Fawcett Society reports, um, they found that a woman with two children compared to a, another woman earns 26% less. And that's not compared to men, that's compared to a woman without children. I don't mean in any way to play off women against with children against those without, but I think it's absolutely critical that we are tracking the pay gap of part-time employees, um, the pay gap of full-time employees, because again, there's a lot of pay gap associated with part-time work. Yeah, anyways, I could go on. Absolutely. Part of- we have in our report, there's a list of things you should track. It's, it's so there. Please Take do a track look those. at the report. Any, any listeners who are, who are looking for pointers there, we've been really, really, yeah, clear about recommendations for what, what should be monitored, but also the, the possibility of introducing targets. You know, do we want to to see more people in director level roles working flexibly? Do we want to see people getting into senior roles able to work part-time if that's something that we are committed to? Like let's not just monitor it, but but consider consider targets, and also ensure that if we're not, we have a kind of a, a route to listening to to parents. You know, there are often working groups or consultative groups, and and actually to understand what flexibility would be most useful. The only you know, the best way to do that is to listen to your employees. So there's a genuine conversation about it. Oh, we're doing such an important, such an exciting project at Mono, which I'm not. I can't say who it involves or any details, but it's super exciting. We're getting one of our employer partners who is amazing. Uh, we're getting a group of the fellows from that employer partner to, in a structured way, provide suggestions around how to make that partner the best in class for supporting working parents, which is super exciting. And you're involved in that as well. Very, very <laughs> yeah. Another thing that we that we haven't touched on about speaking from a sort of constructive solutions focus point of view, you know, was was being outcomes based. I've been talking about what needs to change a lot because that's important, but there was a lot of discussion of things working really well, of people in the, the C-suite working in hybrid ways. They depended on it. You know, we, we explored w- what makes them distinct, r- real dependence on having having flexibility, but also being outcomes based in work. You know, that can really, really help people who who have less control of impressions and presenteeism and can't be switched on all the time. But another way of looking at performances, you know, is being outcomes based and seeing, you know, what are they achieving in the role? Even outputs based, like what, what are you managing to deliver? And some departments are doing that and they're getting rave reviews <laughs> among, among respondents for the effect that can have in, in what, what they can get recognised for, which is, you know, which is the true productivity. Mm, absolutely. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? I know we could probably go on, read out the whole report for sure, but is there anything for the listeners who want to practically go back to their organizations and change things? Is there anything else that we haven't mentioned yet that would be useful to hear? I think I think those are the I think those are the main things. I think it, it really does boil down to getting really specific about 
how can we support what support is there for returning parents, um, for, for parents who want to progress? Do we do we sort of look at this as a group? Is there any attention to it? And what's the thinking on it? What's the thinking in our organisation on it? Where are we at? And, and perhaps an encouragement to, to interrogate job descriptions, because we, we're hearing a lot of people being knocked back. Or some preemptive assumptions, you know, that's not going to be possible for me. It just doesn't look feasible. And it can be hard to challenge a JD. And, and, and we're also hearing about a disconnect sometimes between what appears on paper to be feasible and then you know you talk to the team and they say oh no it actually is very demanding support with negotiation uh, I think is is really important support with unpacking a job description if it doesn't look feasible and going how could we make this feasible because everyone has to do it for a first time but just to encourage people in my own organization I was the first job share it hadn't been done before. A case needed to be made. Hopefully, you know, that will be more possible in the future. But just to really strengthen people's arms to do that, because people are doing it in workplaces all over the country and it needs to be done. It doesn't just come from the employer. There needs to be shown to be demand. Maybe this research shows that there's a kind of pent up demand that employers don't fully realise, that there is a frustrated ambition that isn't being discussed actively in the organisation. And, and that takes the, the demand side too. You know, it takes employees saying, I really want this job. I need to find a way for it to work. Can we talk about it? And, and to get to get more more into those negotiations. Absolutely. And that's actually, I think it's interesting. We recently added support for fellows with negotiation to the fellowship program. And at the beginning, I wasn't sure whether we definitely should add it or not. But it's so interesting how... It was very empowering and even halfway through, I've just attended a session last week because I was covering for another facilitator who was derailed by the storm, And it, as always. Um, but I think, yeah, it's really interesting how that does make a difference. But also just designing organisations. So there's a brilliant book, Gender Equality by Design, by Iris Bonnet, around how you design organisations to make sure that your processes, for example, around promotion, do not exclude certain groups, for example, women specifically. If you want to get involved more in this work, then definitely keep listening, I guess, to the podcast. Also, if it will, we will share, we don't quite know yet when this podcast will go out, but we will share the report on social media. So anybody who's interested, and obviously it will be on our website as well. So do have a look out for it. Yeah, anything, if there was one thing that you are going to do differently if you ever end up working in a traditional organization again uh, what would it be Rosie is there anything you know if you had to choose one thing to do differently as a result of this report uh, I would want to be a stronger role model for other people not keep my sort of pressures private but actually try actively to show how you know those balances can happen between workload pressures and, and, and family life and really champion that as, as the way ahead and really lose entirely the idea that, you know, that, that, there's, that parenting can be a threat to work and instead sort of champion it as, um, as a positive good. Fantastic. And where can people find out about you and your work? I'm on LinkedIn. I'm doing a lot of research and consultancy now with, with different charities, foundations, helping with with evaluation but also with with asking asking good questions and you using research and evidence to inform what they do so yeah please do get in touch wonderful well thank you so much it was really fun working with you and also chatting to you again absolute pleasure good to speak Verena. 
Thank you so much for listening today. I always love hearing from listeners. So if you've listened and enjoyed it, please do connect with me on LinkedIn. I would really enjoy to hear what you thought of the show. I always love having podcast listeners join the fellowship program or getting involved in other ways. So if you're interested in that, then please sign up on leadersplus.org forward slash register interest and we'll keep you in the loop when the applications open again. And thank you so much to all the listeners who've taken time to share the podcast with friends or to rate it on your podcast listening app. In the last few weeks, the podcast listener numbers have really gone up. And that's quite important because at the moment, podcasting is still an area that is really dominated by men, especially if you look at the top charting podcasts. They're often led by men. And I think it just shows that there's another area where we have to push through and create greater equality. And so thank you so much for sharing it and trying to uh, (laughs) give voice to a woman-led podcast. I really appreciate it. See you next week.